favorite conversations uh, to be having with people during COVID is uh, the way that they kind of managed to, to kill time during the lockdowns. You know, what kind of goals or hobbies they picked up uh, to pass time when we weren't able to leave our houses. Some people picked up uh, things like baking. Some people picked up more, more artistic hobbies like uh, drawing or painting. Uh, some people got really into know anything about freestyle unicycling, but it's not like your typical Bozo the Clown kind of stuff, okay? They're like extremely hardcore people <laughs> who do very cool stunts on unicycles, and I decided that that was who I wanted to become. Now, for context, like I do have a little bit of a unicycling history. Some of you know this, right? I've told you this before, but it's a long story. I'm not going to get into my whole clown past uh, here this morning. Uh, but, but I figured I was, I was halfway there, right? Since I already had the basics down. And so I ordered myself uh, a unicycle on Amazon, and I started to work towards this dream day after day in my basement. And the first thing I knew I would need to, to learn on the unicycle is how to get onto it without holding on to anything. This was something that I was never able to master in the past. It's actually, it's pretty tricky. It's what those in the industry call free mounting the unicycle, okay? And so I watched some, some YouTube videos and I was actually able to figure out what I had been doing wrong. And so I was really excited as I was watching these videos because I was like, I think I can do this, right? I think, you know, this is actually pretty easy. It's just a matter of like lining the pedals up correctly and just shifting your weight in just the right way, uh, it, it looked really simple. And so I went back to the unicycle with like a fresh wind of confidence and I lined up my pedals and I put one foot on top of the one pedal and then I threw my leg around and put my other foot on top of the other pedal and I tried to like boost myself up onto the seat and the unicycle shot out from underneath of me and I found myself in a pile on the floor. And then this happened again, and again, and again, and it kept happening until I finally uh, just accepted that this was the end of my journey to become a freestyle unicycler. Maybe some of your COVID hobby experiences were similar, you know, but it really reminded me of something that we all know to be true. It reminded me that some things in life are very simple. But at the same time, they're very difficult to do. There are some uh, situations in life where we know exactly what needs to be done. We can recite the steps that need to be taken. But when it comes down to actually doing them, it's a struggle. Sometimes it's a struggle because we lack the motivation, right, with those, like, with those, um, exercise commitments that we all make on January 1st, right? Sometimes uh, it's a struggle because something looks easy, but it actually takes a lot of practice to get it worked into our muscle memory. Sometimes it's a struggle because we know what we're supposed to do, but it just doesn't feel right. Like when I went to South Africa, I don't know if any of you have ever traveled to places where they drive on the left-hand side of the road but it's very disorienting. And when I went to South Africa, I just couldn't bring myself 
to drive a car on the left-hand side because even though I knew it was what we're supposed to do, it just didn't feel right, and I was sure it would end very badly. This morning, we're talking about something that's very simple. But when it comes to actually doing it, it can be very difficult. This morning, we're talking about forgiveness. A few weeks ago, we started a sermon series on grace. And maybe you remember that uh, during the first two weeks, we zoomed out and we looked at the big picture when it comes to experiencing and extending grace. And now we're going to be focusing on some specific aspects of what it means to be people who live in grace. And I'm going to be honest with you, okay? When I was planning out this sermon series, the topic of forgiveness was the one that I was the least excited to teach on. Because I know how difficult forgiveness can be. And I was thinking about teaching on forgiveness, thinking about those of you who would be sitting here today and the pain that many of you have had to carry because of the ways that you have been mistreated by others. And I was thinking about the people I've worked with in Hamilton, where I do other work as a, as a mental health worker, people who live with uh, poverty and mental health challenges and addictions and trauma. And I was thinking about the pain that they've had to carry because of what they've been put through at the hands of other people. And I was thinking about the stories that we've all been hearing in the news about people who have suffered terrible things at the hands of others and the ways that their lives would be impacted moving forward. Sometimes forgiveness can seem like too big of a thing to ask of somebody in light of what they've suffered. And yet, the gospel tells us that in the face of our pain and our fractured relationships, forgiveness is the way to freedom. It's the way to healing. It's the way to wholeness. It's the way to restored lives and restored communities. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. It's impossible to talk about grace without starting here, without starting at the reality that through Christ's death and resurrection, God has extended the gift of forgiveness to us. And then he calls us to be people who freely extend that gift of forgiveness to other people, even in situations where it seems impossible. So let's dig into some scripture, and then we will try to work through how true forgiveness can be a reality in our, midst, our messy lives. If, you're, if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to open up uh, to Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35 with me. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. This is a passage where Peter comes to Jesus with a question. It's a question about forgiveness. And as usual, Jesus gives Peter a response that blows his mind and that probably would have left Peter with more questions than it did with answers. Jesus was really good at that, wasn't he? So Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Let's have a look. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? 
So Jesus has been uh, teaching his disciples about how to do life as a community. He's been talking about things like what to do in situations where somebody sins against you and uh, how to navigate situations where there's a need for accountability. And this kind of gets Peter thinking, right? It gets him thinking about this whole thing of forgiveness. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that Peter has someone in mind here, okay? Maybe there's like a family member that keeps loading the dishwasher wrong. Maybe there's like a neighbor that like keeps turning their music up too loud at night, right? Maybe it's something more serious. We don't really know. But Peter knows uh, that, this, that this whole topic of forgiveness is really central to Jesus' teaching, right? He's heard Jesus uh, talk about forgiveness a lot, but he figures that there's got to be a limit to it somewhere, right? It can't just go on forever. So he wants to know, when do you cut someone off? At what point do you cut someone off from this whole forgiveness thing? And bless Peter's heart, right? He's always just blurting stuff out. So he takes a shot at it, and he guesses that seven, seven's probably the maximum number of times that you should be expected to offer forgiveness to somebody when they wrong you. But how does Jesus respond? Let's look at verse uh, 22. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Oof. Jesus blows Peter's guess out of the water, right? And of course, Jesus isn't telling Peter to go get a notebook and to start keeping a tally until he counts to 490 acts of betrayal and then to cut someone off, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's telling Peter to do is to stop counting. So stop counting. And we can imagine how Peter might have felt when Jesus gave him this answer. I mean, what kind of things would be going through your mind if you heard Jesus say this? Probably things like, that doesn't make any sense. That's impossible. Jesus, you don't understand. That doesn't seem fair. And I'm guessing that these were some of the things that, was go- that were going through Peter's mind in this moment as well. And then Jesus goes on to tell a parable. In verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. So Jesus tells us about a servant who owes his uh, his king like an unbelievable amount of money. This was more money than he'd ever be able to pay back in his lifetime. And his king is settling his accounts. And so he decides that he's going to at least get the tiny little bit that he can squeeze out of this guy, since he knows he's never going to get the full amount that he's owed back. And he decides he's going to sell him into slavery, along with his wife and his kids and everything he owns. But then, verse 26, But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Now, the servant knew. He would never be able to pay this entire debt back, right? But at this point, he's just like desperately pleading. His only hope at this point is mercy. 
And then verse 27. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. So the king changes his mind. He sees this man pleading for mercy, and his heart is moved with compassion, and he cancels the debt. No conditions. There's no hesitations. There's no strings attached, right? The debt is just canceled. Now, what kind of response would you expect from somebody who had just experienced this level of generosity? We would hope that this experience would change the servant into somebody who was filled with gratitude and grace and who extended the same kind of generosity to other people, right? That's what we would hope and expect. But that's not how the story goes. Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. So even though this servant had been forgiven such an unbelievable amount of debt, he wasn't even willing to set up a payment plan, right, with this guy who owed him money. And then verse 31. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples understand that this is not just some peripheral issue. We can't just pick and choose when we want to forgive and when we don't. Forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. It's central to who God is and who we're called to be as the people who represent him in our world. Now, before we get into forgiving others and what that means and what that looks like, I want to make sure we don't skip over something that's really important uh, in what Jesus just taught us. Our call to forgive others is rooted in the reality that we have been forgiven. That at the cross, Jesus died and rose again so that we could be set free from our guilt and our shame and our bondage to sin with no strings attached. So you have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. And sometimes we get feeling like we've blown it too many times, right? Or like our mess is too big for God to handle, or like we need to clean ourselves up before we can really come to him. But the good news of the gospel is that even when we're at our worst, even in the midst of our biggest failures, we are loved by God, and he wants us to receive his gift of forgiveness. 
That's where our freedom and our hope come from. So there is no bypassing this step. This is where it starts, right? And it's something that often we need to come back to again and again to just make sure we're truly living in light of this reality, of this truth, that we are forgiven. And then Jesus says, we're called to be people who extend that forgiveness to others. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I think is really true in the book uh, called Mere Christianity. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Isn't that true? It's very true, isn't it? We love the idea of forgiveness. We are inspired when we hear those stories of unbelievable forgiveness, right? Like after the um, shooting at the Amish school in Pennsylvania, when the Amish uh, community, this was in 2006, some of you probably remember, when the Amish community expressed forgiveness right away to the shooter and reached out to his family to offer them grace and support and walk alongside them as they were processing what had happened. Or Nelson Mandela, right, who led South Africa into reconciliation after spending 27 years in prison on Robben Island under apartheid. We love the idea of forgiveness. It, it brings hope in situations that seem impossible. But when someone cuts us off in traffic, we wish the most horrendous forms of evil upon them. Am I right? (laughs) We are biologically hardwired to retaliate and to seek revenge when people harm us. That's why our daycare teachers here throughout the week, we have a daycare. This is why our daycare teachers have to spend so much time teaching the little children not to bite their friends when their friends take their toys. When we're wronged, something boils up inside of us that wants to see the other person suffer for what they've done. And when the stakes are high or the wounds are deep, it can be really difficult to let go of that bitterness that we feel. And yet we know that holding on to anger isn't good for us. There's an old expression that says, Resentment is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. There's truth to that, isn't isn't, isn't there? Resentment is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. There's actually research that shows that people who hold on to anger have higher blood pressure. They have a higher risk for heart disease. They're prone to ulcers and migraines and backaches and anxiety and depression and a whole host of other health issues that really are connected with stress. Living with resentment also has a negative impact on all of the rest of our other relationships. It can get in the way of our ability to trust other people, to experience meaningful connection. It can keep us so stuck in the past that we struggle to really uh, enjoy the present. And when we don't forgive, it keeps other people in bondage. It fractures communities. And ultimately, it puts us outside of the orbit of how things work 
in the kingdom of God. So it's not really a surprise that Jesus puts such a high priority in this passage on forgiveness. Right? Our ability to forgive has massive implications in our lives and in the world. So I'm not going to ask you to come up here and ride a unicycle and expect that you can just do it, right? How do we go about forgiveness in those situations where uh, it, it seems too hard? One of the barriers I think we often experience is that we don't really understand what forgiveness is. There are a lot of misconceptions about forgiveness that make it seem impossible. And so but before we talk about what forgiveness is, let's quickly take a few minutes to look at what forgiveness is not. Firstly, forgiveness is not weakness. Forgiving somebody is different than just being a pushover. True forgiveness actually takes a tremendous amount of courage. And we see that right, in those stories of people like Nelson Mandela. Nobody would say that Nelson Mandela was spineless. His ability to forgive required a tremendous amount of strength. Forgiveness is not about subverting justice. Forgiving somebody doesn't mean that they aren't held accountable for their actions. There are situations where accountability is really important. But what it does mean is that when we're pursuing justice, it's not about getting revenge or making someone suffer. And the truth is that when someone pays for what they've done to us, it doesn't actually uh, eliminate our pain anyways, right? We need forgiveness. Forgiveness is the only way we can move towards healing regardless of whether or not justice is served. Next, forgiveness is not forgetting. We've all heard this, right? Forgive and forget. But the truth is that it's simply neurologically impossible to force ourselves uh, to forget. Forgiveness isn't about minimizing harm or pretending that something didn't happen when it really happened. True forgiveness actually requires total honesty. If we want real healing and real reconciliation, we have to be willing to face the real injury. And lastly, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that things go back to the way they were before. Sometimes relationships can be put back together in a way that makes them stronger on the other side of a breakdown. But sometimes there's also boundaries that need to be put up so that people stay safe. Forgiveness can actually happen regardless of whether or not reconciliation is possible. So what is forgiveness? I think that uh, the easiest way to think about forgiveness is this. It's canceling a debt. Like in the parable, right? This is the example that uh, Jesus used in our parable today. Whenever uh, someone wrongs us, it's always, uh, something has always been taken from us, right? Well, it could be our uh, sense of feeling valued. It could be our time. It could be our sense of uh, safety or trust. Wherever there's a hurt, there's something that's been taken. And so in a sense, because somebody has taken something from us, we have a right 
to make them pay for it, right? When we forgive, we surrender the right to get even. We cancel the debt. We don't retaliate and we don't seek revenge. And then we open ourselves up to God and we let him start to change the way that we think and feel towards the person until we can get to a place where we see their humanity and we sincerely want the best for them. Which is one of the best definitions I've ever heard given for love. Sincerely wanting the best for someone. So how do we get there? This is really where we often uh, tend to get stuck, isn't it? There really isn't a quick and easy answer uh, to this question. And so sometimes we either like give up totally on believing that forgiveness could even be possible and we walk away from the situation, we disengage, or we just try really hard to force ourselves into it without really healing. And we end up dealing with all kinds of shame and guilt because our feelings are still there and we don't know what to do with that. But there's another way forward into deep, true forgiveness. There's a book uh, called The Book of Forgiveness by Bishop Desmond Tutu and his daughter, Mpo. It's a difficult name to say. I've been practicing. But and in this book, uh, they lay out what they call a fourfold path to forgiveness. And I have found this incredibly helpful because it puts together different aspects of what Scripture teaches us about forgiveness and reconciliation. And it points us forward towards true healing rather than that superficial uh, kind of forgiveness that we sometimes try to rush into. Becky and I were talking a couple weeks ago about um, th- that situation that you, if, you've ever, if you have kids or you, if you have siblings, you've probably experienced this where there's like a fight and you're like, okay, hug and make up. You need to, it's better. And there's nothing worse than that feeling, right, of trying to force forgiveness when uh, you're not really there yet. So we're going to look at kind of a pathway forward to move towards true healing uh, in those situations where we need to seek forgiveness, but it seems hard. Now, this isn't a formula. It, can't take, it can take a lot of time. It doesn't always happen in a linear way. Uh, sometimes we'll find that we've forgiven somebody and then resentment starts to kind of well up inside of us again. And we need to kind of walk back through the different stages. Sometimes we need to forgive somebody 70 times, seven times for like the very same thing. But this pathway lays out uh, some steps that can move us forward towards forgiveness, even situations that seem too hard. Not on our own. This isn't something that we can do on our own strength, right? It's tough. It's something that we can really only do when we trust that God is with us, that he's caring for us, that he sees us in our pain, and that he's moving in us towards healing as we lean into this process. So let's look at the different stages on this path towards forgiveness. The first one is this. It's telling the story. Telling the story. This is where we tell the truth about what happened. It's how we start to understand and make meaning out of the experience. And this isn't always easy to do. It can take a lot of courage because a lot of these stories are hard stories and they bring up a lot of shame and things that we don't want to face. But there's something really powerful that happens when we drag things into the light, when we put things on the table, trusting that we are wrapped up in God's love and grace as we do. 
the person that we tell our story to really depends on the circumstances, right? Sometimes it's something that we can just walk through uh, in prayer with God. At least that's, that might be where we start, right? Sometimes it's something that we share with somebody uh, like a close friend or a family member that we can really trust. Sometimes uh, we need to talk to the person who wronged us. Sometimes we need to share our story publicly. It really depends on the situation. But forgiveness always starts with telling the story. The second step on the path to forgiveness is naming the hurt. Now, if we think about uh, forgiveness as canceling a debt, this is where we identify what it is that's been taken from us. After we tell the story, we need to name how we've been harmed so that the pain and the resentment can start to lose their grip on us. And sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to name exactly what it is that's been taken. If someone said something that offended us, it might be our sense of feeling valued. If someone betrayed us, it might be the trust that we once had. If someone's hurt us, it could be our sense of safety. Identifying the hurt allows us to hold it before God so that he can meet us in the midst of, a, in the midst of it and move us, to, us towards healing. We have a God who wants to enter into those places of hurt with us. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, God heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Matthew 11 verse 28, uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. God wants us to come to him with our pain and our brokenness. And when we're able to do that and to trust that he's caring for us and working in us, it can then free us to move to that next step, which is granting forgiveness. Granting forgiveness. Forgiveness is, once again, surrendering our right to settle the score with somebody who's hurt us. It's a choice. It's a choice that we make. But it's not a choice that we can make on our own. It's something that God empowers us to do as we walk through this process with him. And it's how we untether ourselves from the person who hurt us and move forward. Now, our ability to forgive is really rooted in recognizing our shared humanity with the person who's wronged us. And we talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, right? There are times when each one of us gets hurt, and there are times where we hurt other people. The person who hurt us has a story, right, that kind of led them to that moment, just like we do. And we're capable of hurting other people in ways that often we would rather not face. So seeing our shared humanity with the person who's hurt us can kind of move us to a place where we're ready to forgive them. And as God works in us throughout this process of forgiveness, he can change the way that we think and feel about the other person, the person who's harmed us, so that we can get to that place where we genuinely want the best for them. Right? Maybe it just starts with not wanting to see them suffer, but as God works in us, he can move us to sincerely wanting the best for them. And then the, the fourth step on the pathway is renewing or releasing the relationship. 
So after we've forgiven, there's still a, a next step that we need to go to, right? We need to mend the tears that have been made in our relationship. And this starts with prayerfully asking for what we need to move forward. Sometimes what we need is an apology or an explanation to kind of gain some understanding around what happened. Sometimes we need to take responsibility for some of the ways that we maybe have contributed to the conflict. And then we move forward towards either renewing or releasing the relationship. And as followers of Jesus, of course, we know that in every situation where it's possible, we're called to renewal. We're called to renew our relationships. Romans 12 verse 18 says, do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Oof, imagine we took that verse seriously, eh? Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. But the truth is, and it's important that we name this, there are situations where full reconciliation isn't possible, right? There are times where the other person isn't open to the reconciliation process, and and we can't control other people's decisions, right? But we can still forgive them. There are times where uh, we have to release a relationship because a person is unsafe or because the person, we're we're forgiving someone who's passed away who who can't uh, reconcile with us. And in those cases, we forgive the person and then we release the relationship, which means that it doesn't take up real estate in our heart and minds. We've gone to that place of peace. We don't wish harm on the person and we're able to just... Uh, release the relationship, and write a new story with our lives. When we renew our relationships, the truth is that often they're different, right? But often they're deeper and they're stronger because we've worked through some struggle, right? We've worked through pain together, and we've seen our shared humanity, and we've let God's grace move us forward towards wholeness and healing together. And that's a really beautiful thing. It's a real uh, sign and a wonder of what God's forgiveness looks like when it shows up in the midst of our relationships and our community, right? Our world needs to see that happening in action. Romans 12 verse 21 says, don't let evil get the best of you, but get the best of evil by doing good. In the book of Forgiving, the authors say, the quality of human life on our planet is nothing more than the sum total of our daily interactions with each other. Each time we help and each time we harm, we have a dramatic impact on the world. As human beings, it's inevitable that we find ourselves in situations where relationships are fractured and communities are divided. Forgiveness is the gift that God gives us that allows us to mend those tears and move forward into healing and wholeness. When we forgive, we let God's goodness and love take broken situations and transform them into something new and beautiful. It's one of the ways we go about getting the best of evil by doing good, like Paul tells us to do. Forgiveness isn't just a one-time thing. As followers of Jesus, forgiveness is a way of life. We live every day in the hope and the freedom of knowing that we have been forgiven through Jesus' death and resurrection. And then we're called to extend that gift of forgiveness to the people around us so that God's love and peace 
can flow in us and through us and bring hope to our broken world. I'm going to close in prayer, and then Twyla's going to come up and lead us through a practice to kind of help us move forward towards forgiveness. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you, God, that you are a God of forgiveness. You're a God of peace. You're a God of new beginnings. You're a God who shows us the way forward, God, the path in the wilderness, where it, what it seems like God, there isn't one when situations seem hopeless. And God, my prayer for our community is that we would be people who open ourselves up to receive your forgiveness, to live in your grace, to, to receive your love and feel the joy and the freedom that comes in knowing that you have set us free from our sin, from our brokenness. And in receiving that, in experiencing that, in living into that, I pray, God, that you would transform us into people who extend forgiveness to others in ways that point to you, that point to your freedom, your forgiveness, your hope, your healing. God, for those of us who are sitting here thinking about the broken relationships in our lives, I pray that you would offer your comfort, your love, your peace, your presence, and your hope, your hope towards healing. God, we thank you for your love. We love you and we trust you. 